And then we have 79 to 80. Mm -hmm. We're really starting to shift now. Mm -hmm. yep. Jasmine Smith is the principal of Oak Ridge Elementary School here in Tallahassee. I first met her earlier this year when I was on a panel talking to a group about local media. During the conversation, I casually mentioned that WFSU was working on a podcast about race and segregation. Shortly after, Smith approached me. She told me I had to come to Oak Ridge Elementary School. She had something she wanted to show me these yearbooks. It's like it just goes from this to something completely different. The pages and pictures of dozens of boxed-up yearbooks, they tell a story at Oak Ridge Elementary School. In the early years, the classroom photos feature young, smiling white faces. In the 1970s, there are a few more smiling brown faces. By the late 90s, most of the white faces are now brown. So my impression of Tallahassee is that it's a beautiful place to raise children, um, to have a family, but at the same time, they're very much, um, they're parts of Tallahassee that still feel very much segre segregated to some extent. This is a story shared by several schools in Leon County, shared by thousands of schools in Florida, and tens of thousands across the United States. This is a story of how schools and communities, they're changing. As I drive into work each day, I see signs on both ends of Shelfer Road that reference this neighborhood as the neighborhood of, a ye of the year in the early 2000s. In 2017, the state considered the school a failing school, one that had earned F and D grades in the previous two years. Those grades meant Oak Ridge was in danger of having to close or be turned over to a private operator. It also meant a required changeover in administrators, which is how Smith got the job. When she arrived at Oak Ridge, she found a library with no books, crumbling shelves, and furniture that was original to the school, which opened in 1969. I have friends that attended the school and came to visit me and looked and said, oh, it looks like it did when I was here. That's how Miss So-and-So's desk looked. Mm -hmm. And we finished elementary school in the 80s. So you think about that um, part. And as a, a principal, I wanted to try to do something. So Smith went to the school where she previously worked. That school is on the northeast side of Tallahassee. She went there because that school was getting new furniture. And she took back to Oak Ridge the things the North Side School didn't need or want anymore. Teachers here were very glad to get the, um, the furniture. Um, I have to say that was a decision that I, I um, made and then later spoke with our um, superintendent who was able to help us get some new furniture for our um, students. And as the new furniture arrived and um, was being placed in classrooms, I passed a student in the hallway and he looked at me and said, um, oh, Miss Dr. Smith, did another school give us some furniture again? Smith realized that what she unintentionally communicated to her students in that moment was that they weren't worthy of having something new just for them, that it had to have come from somewhere or someone else. And that's not ever the message that children should receive. And it was at that point that um, 
I made a very firm decision that from, well, from that point forward, that when it came to anything um, that we were going to have in this school, that it would be something that would be up-to-date, modern, brand new, and that the message that children received is that you are worthy of having what everybody else in the world has. And I know you may think that's selfish me, but actually, it's only when I'm completely focused on me can I serve others selflessly. With the feeling of my cup, love runs over endlessly, stretching my capacity to plant seeds. So you see that it's not greed that I've agreed to focus on myself. Smith describes the situation she found at Oak Ridge as accidental or unintentional neglect. A school that struggled for so long that its teachers and administrators had been just trying to stay afloat. But things like library books, desks, and textbooks fell by the wayside. I feel like I get teary-eyed thinking about it, just standing right there in the first grade hallway. Did another school give us something? I thought, this is not it. I believe we have to realize that decisions have been made uh, that resulted in what, what this podcast is all about. That's former state Senator Bill Montford. And he says struggling schools like Oak Ridge, they don't just happen in a vacuum. And I would suggest to you that the majority of those decisions made were not made by the Leon County School Board. They were made by uh, other uh, government agencies or, uh, or, or the, what drives the economy, growth. And every one of us that we're not alone. It doesn't matter if you have two left feet or sing out of tune. Just get what you need from every song. If you've never picked up a pencil to compose a poem, I encourage you to write at least one. Taking the moments as they come, because you may not get another one. So just this is a story about how schools in Leon County, a predominantly white county that now has a majority black school district, got to be that way. It's a story that goes beyond black and white. Yes, we're talking about race, but we're also talking about class and choice and change. And most importantly, we're talking about where we came from, where we are, and how much more there's left to do in order to achieve real equality and equity. I'm your host, Lynn Hatter, and this is Not So Black and White, a community's divided history, brought to you by WFSU Public Media. My name is Lyrically True, and I'm not here to entertain you. I'm here to express myself, and I decree and declare that just like these books, I'm worthy of coming off the shelf. In May of 2022, the progressive policy group, the Century Foundation, released a study on school resegregation. The results mirror the findings of a 2017 report from Florida State University's Leroy Collins Institute. Both of these studies, done five years apart, found that Leon County schools are the most segregated they've been since 1994. The Collins study included another mic drop moment. It said students who attend Leon County schools are in one of the most highly segregated school districts in the entire state. 
How did you feel when you first saw that report come out? Uh, I would like to say I was surprised, but I really wasn't. Leanne County School Superintendent Rocky Hanna says what's happening in his district schools is reflected across Tallahassee. Unfortunately, I think part of it is as a community in Leon County, we've become segregated. And our neighborhoods have become more segregated uh, than ever. But the reasons for that are complicated. One reason is that people move and things change. That's a part of life. Another reason is opportunity. Federal laws like the Fair Housing Act of 1968 eliminated discrimination in housing. And for the first time, non-white people could live wherever they wanted, as long as they could afford it. And many began to move into neighborhoods that had previously been segregated. The result? Many predominantly white neighborhoods and schools that existed before 1975, they eventually became predominantly and then majority black by the late 1980s and early 1990s. It has, and it's again shifted drastically over the course of the last of the last decade or so. Uh, unfortunately, Lynn, it's just call it what it is. Some white families they, they don't want their kids going to school with black children, um, or schools that are predominantly black. But it's not just race that's driving the divisions. Complicating the issue has been the introduction of school choice, no longer limiting families to the schools they're zoned for. Today, families have far more options, public school, private school, charter school, or even homeschool. And what started off as an effort to help disabled or poor kids in failing Florida public schools has grown to the point where even higher-income families can get money to send their children to schools outside of the district. Hannah has watched it happen here in Leon, and he's starting to see a pattern. We have seen, especially with middle school kids, uh, that they'll come to us for uh, elementary school. They leave and go to a, to a private school for, for middle, and then they come back to us for high school. So, and that's a thing. That is a real thing, especially with a lot of white families in our community. And I'm trying to get a grasp and understand exactly what's causing it. Is it because of perceived bullying? Is it because of the other, all the other issues that happened during those middle school years? Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not quite sure, but we have to get to the root of it because it, it does concern me. Hannah's family roots in Leon and the school district, they go deep. I graduated from Leon in the early 80s. My dad graduated from Leon in 1960. My grandmother graduated from Leon in 1930. Before becoming the head of the Leon School District, Hannah was a beloved principal at Leon High School, the district's flagship, and one of the few schools remaining where the student population is similar to the county's demographics. The U.S. Supreme Court declared school segregation unconstitutional in 1954's Brown versus Board of Education case. And states like Florida and school districts like Leon, well, they largely ignored that ruling for the next 15 years. They were able to do that because of what's known as Brown II, a follow-up to the original 1954 ruling that directed school districts to proceed with desegregation with, quote, all deliberate speed. How can you do anything deliberately, speedily? Well, you can't. The court never set a deadline. And that effectively let states slow walk and stall. And stall they did. 
Tallahassee Community College history professor Dr. Andrea Oliver says schools in the South tried nearly everything to avoid putting kids together, including pouring millions of dollars into shoring up their black schools to bring them on par, at least financially, to their white ones. There was this equalization movement that takes place, and and certainly throughout the 50s and early 60s, all of a sudden, school boards find uh, the resources to build more modern, up-to-date facilities for black children so they could say, see, they really are equal, (laughs) right? Between 1954 and 64, the Leon County School District built six new schools, three of them Bond, Nims, and Pineview were for Black students, and those schools remain majority Black to this very day. In its attempt to move from separate and unequal to separate and equal, Leon found itself still coming up short and more than a decade too late. But you can't catch up in five years what you've neglected for 20, 30, 40, Absolutely not. Absolutely not. In 1964, President Lyndon Johnson passed the Civil Rights Act, which eliminated segregation in public spaces. A lesser-known part of that federal law was the hammer that finally forced districts to desegregate, for real this time. See, Title VI of the 1964 Civil Rights Act tied desegregation to federal funding. Schools with a more equitable racial balance would get more money, and those that didn't would get less or nothing. It was only under the threat of the loss of those federal funds um, tied to student demographic populations that North Florida, dist- or North Florida school districts like Leon, Jefferson, Madison, Gadsden, I believe Jackson was also a part of that as well, um, that they finally said, okay, we're going to close our dual systems of education In 1968, the district closed its all-black Lincoln High School, and those students transferred into the all-white Leon High. Former WFSU reporters Kate Payne and Nick Evans bring us a slice of that momentous and tumultuous time. Oh, my God. Oh, I'm trying to to think. I I could tell you so much about Lincoln and talent shows and... Oh, we listened to Sam and Dave and Otis Redding and Sam Cooke and, oh, my God, James Brown. And, I mean, many skirts were coming in to to stop. I am Irene Gillum. I am a Tallahassee original. And I am a graduate of Leon High School, 1969. My mom had graduated from Lincoln, and her diploma was on the wall. And my oldest sister and my oldest brother uh, had gone to Lincoln. You know, I knew I was going to Lincoln. I was going to be a Lincoln graduate also. My name is Altamese Barnes, and I am a native of Tallahassee, fifth generation, and we are at <clears throat> the what we call the old Lincoln School, the original Lincoln School, here on West Brevard Street. 
And then the classrooms started here. When we went to Lincoln in 10th grade, uh, we had no clue that it would be closing at the end of our 10th grade year. None whatsoever. These are prom pictures here. These are queens. And see, these are the things that blacks used to could do. But when the school desegregated, it took a while for you to even get um, invited to um, be a part of the social life. That was a difficult transition uh, for them. They were the leaders of their school and they come into a new environment and nobody changed the policies for them. There will be X number of minority kids in this club and this club and they had to start from scratch really. Mike Conley, I was principal at Leon from, well for many years, I can't remember. From, I started there in 58 and uh, left there in 89. People viewed things with a different set of glasses than, then than they do today. They weren't aware of the social injustices. They didn't think there was anything wrong with it. That's the way it had been done. That's the way their mother and father were brought up. My name is Bill Matice. I'm a 1968 graduate of Leon High School. So many of us, and I put myself in there, we were just kind of nonplussed about it. We don't. Probably should have done more, but we didn't. I grew up in a somewhat different household. I felt like virtually everyone in Tallahassee was a segregationist, and my family favored integration. I am Ann Sherhorn. I'm a retired professor at Kent State University. When I was a sophomore, I entered Leon, which started with the 10th grade. The most dramatic memory I have was my first assembly at Leon High School. I was just a little sophomore, and we uh, got through the assembly, and at the end, the band struck up Dixie. And I was wondering about the few black students who were sitting in the back of the auditorium together. I just wondered what they were feeling. I wondered every day if I was going to have to fight. We weren't ugly, but we weren't, uh, you know, reaching out across the aisle. That's the kind of tension that I think most of us, if we're willing to admit it, that's the tension that we really felt during those days. Is this the day that I'm, I'm going to have to defend myself? I don't have any regrets. I know that I did everything that I could do to make things right and do the right thing. And I think most teachers felt that way too. It's just a fact of life when you get all of those personalities. You put 2,300 people on a postage stamp piece of property. Tell me that they're going to get along when their parents can't get along. For me, integration is a thing of the mind. 
you can be seated in the same space, but you haven't really integrated, you know, like the water mixed with whatever, the jello to make it really this thing. So it's it's not really integration. It's de- you just desegregate. No, you won't be naming no buildings after me to go down the last Today, the original Lincoln School Building still stands as a neighborhood community center. But part of it, the addition the district built as a last-ditch effort to ward off integration, no longer does. It was demolished in August 2022 after sitting empty for more than a decade. The last time we were there, earlier this summer, the deterioration was obvious, from gouges in the walls to mold, cracked windows, and rusted, stuck doors. While there may not be a building anymore, how people view the impact of desegregation is still a focal point for discussion, and so is the issue of resegregation. I sat down with Dr. Andrea Oliver of TCC to talk more about the language of these conversations and how we have them. And one of the first questions and one of the first issues that um, we have come across is asking about whether resegregation is the right term for what we are presently seeing. And if it is not a resegregation, did desegregation ever happen? And so I want to start there by sort of exploring these these words and what they mean and if they ever actually fully materialized. So um, it's a pleasure to be with you uh, here on this podcast. And um, I'm really glad that we are using uh, semantics as a starting point. And I submit to you, and this may surprise some of your listeners, that Well, it depends on what your idea or what your meaning of resegregation is, because to say that we resegregated seems to somehow suggest that there was a period where we were not segregated. And frankly, I don't know that we've ever had that. By by that this I mean we didn't we never really integrated. If you were to look up the term integration in any standard dictionary, the meaning that you will get for that word is one that suggests uh, total incorporation, total uh, involvement, an enveloping of uh, you know, various components that meld together uh, in a harmonious sort of a way. Uh, that isn't what happened. What happened, says Oliver, is that After it became obvious Leon County schools would have to desegregate, some parents looked for new ways to avoid it. In 1970, the district wrote a memo letting parents know they could take their white children out of their newly desegregated local school. And other parents went further. They put their kids into highly segregated, all-white private schools. Coming up in part two of this podcast, pointing fingers and pinning blame. What's driving school segregation today? Just-